0: Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue.
1: And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens.
0: And today we're talking to our friend and recurring guest, Dr. Debbie Gilboa, about how games can encourage personal growth, foster familial bonds, and even improve mental health in kids and teens. But before we talk to Debbie, we're going to talk about our attachment and our families to games. And we both have Big attachments to games, so I don't know. I was thinking about like what what are the different games that bring out different family dynamics, right? Like it's so, and I'm going to start with the game in my house of family of origin, which was Risk. And my brothers, the game always ended up on the floor. <laughs> it just
1: never went well. You see, I have I have thrown Monopoly board as my first. Okay, so it's not specific to my family of origin. That's good to hear. It's really like, so what happened in your house? <laughs> well, and actually, wait, when you're saying your family of origin, you mean the you mean the Ruben kids, your siblings. Okay, my that was more from my the Silverman kids. Ah, yeah. So what uh-huh. happens there? Oh, yeah, like somebody wasn't winning and that board <laughs> went off flying. Like, we were just retelling that story. None of the kids remember it. They said which kid? And I said yes.
0: <laughs> Wait, so did did you make Monopoly go away? Like did you say we cannot No. Play- no
1: it just kept happening. It just kept happening. Mm-hmm. And it right under that one, So I have walking away from the ping pong table right after a smash where someone got so mad they smashed. Oh it. wow. I would not I am this is like fifteen years of friendship and something uh, brand new. Wow. Even when I'm telling the story, I actually can't even believe it's the same kids. And maybe that's the story, but they do grow up. They do grow up. They grow up. They They actually grow up. It happens. And they're not bad sports. They're great sports, right? So not only do they grow up, but there's not even this lingering piece where you're like, oh, he's about to throw it, right? Like we were playing Rummy Cube last night. One of them's 25, right? No one was throwing anything. They're like, oh, good game. You're like, oh, really? That can happen? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a delight
0: to all those parents who are struggling through the the throne board game right now. <laughs> totally. It can, like both of our families have delightful games together, like really yeah. fun. So one of the games that I really love, we haven't played in a while, and I think this will tell you why we don't play. So <laughs> the game Codenames is so much fun, and it's it's like so cerebral. It's so much fun. And Dan and I... After thirty-seven years of marriage, if we're on the same team, we get it. We get we get the answers. Like we don't have to give the, the like the obvious hints. You know, it's like we just get it. And the kids get so mad; they don't like that. They're like <laughs> that. We can read each other's minds. So maybe that's why we no longer play it. Because I I
1: beg people to play it, and no one will say yes. Well, it's so funny. Like I I was thinking about this the other day. How. You know, whether you're a game family, not a game family, were you a card playing family? And and it is really funny. I think since we started talking about this maybe a few weeks ago, so I've been asking more and more people and it is really fascinating to see like how, I'm like, well, what did you do? Like, we're such a game family. Like, I can't, if you don't play games, I'm like, So you just stare at each other? Like, it's just such a funny thing. Now, I do think, and my mom said this the other day, I was making a joke about, in my house, we definitely did more cards than actual games. We had some games, so definitely more cards. And Todd's family, I think, had more games. But I had made the joke, maybe to my sister or something, I said something like, oh, because you only had to buy a deck of cards one time because we had no money, right? And so I was saying something to my parents about not having so many board games. And my mom turned to my dad, she goes, yeah, it's probably because those games cost money. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Exactly yeah, but also it
1: travels so easily, like it's
0: so totally. great right. Yeah. Like one of the games mm-hmm. that goes on vacation is bananagrams because it's just this mm-hmm. throw in the in the suitcase. I want to say about bananagrams and boggle that it is sad for me. Happy and sad. It's so like, you know, we want our kids to do better than us. We want our kids to like soar in ways that maybe we didn't soar and achieve
1: in ways we didn't achieve, not so much at my expense. <laughs> <laughs> agreed, agreed. I had a really happy moment about maybe 15 hours ago. We were sitting at a long table and there was a group playing sequence on this end and then Rummy Cube on this end. I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. Just, I love, I love the, and, and conversations that are happy. It, it just, it breeds so much, um, oh, like, not camaraderie, it's not the right, it's just it's such a great way to just be talking and playing and I don't know, I just love it as a pastime. It's kind of what I dreamt of
0: when I wanted my own family, like that we would, (laughs) I mean, I have other dreams that didn't come to fruition, but (laughs) but that's a whole other
1: episode for us.
0: (laughs) No, no. Well, yeah, maybe. But um, (laughs) but in in terms of Boggle and Bananagrams in my house, I can't win anymore. I don't like that. Like you can get really, really good. And I want to be so proud of you when you beat your friends, but can I still win sometimes? Like I just want to.
1: It reminds me of that Connie Schultz story when she said, tells the story, the daughter's going at her, you know, they're disagreeing, the daughter's like 17, and the daughter's like, you taught me to speak up for myself, you taught me to be independent, you taught me to use my voice, and she goes, yes, but not with me. <laughs> yeah, 100% true, all the time, <laughs> totally all the time. I think maybe playing games and is a great metaphor for like I had kids who were picky eaters and maybe they wouldn't try something new. And again, they matured, they got older. And same thing with games, learning new games, because they play games. So like, they're usually not that they don't have their favorites, but they're like, Oh, yeah, well, well, tell me about that one. Okay, like, so I, I think that's an interesting thing, too. I think there's probably maybe there's something that teaches kids, you know, that ability to just try something new, because okay, oh, okay, so we do it like, okay, so you know how like, uh bananagrams is a good example. Okay, well, so it's sort of like boggle because you're putting words together, right? Or they'll say, Oh, so this works like that game, right? They have something to draw upon. So they're, I think a little, more willing to try some new ones or, if you know, a family friend will say like, oh, wait, we're going to bring over blah, blah. Have you guys played it? And I'm like, no, but if you guys like it, yeah, bring it over. So I think that's introduced us to some new things. Yeah. And we just published an article. I think it's 92
0: games. So maybe we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, it's great. It's pretty comprehensive. So if you're a family looking to get into games, this is a great place to start. So up next is our conversation with Dr. Debbie Gilboa. We can't wait for you to join us.
2: Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.
0: Dr. Deborah Gilboa, also known as Dr. G, works with families, educators, and executives in businesses to identify the mindset and strategies to turn stress into an advantage. And today we're talking about that approach in the context of games for kids and teenagers. Dr. G is a leading media personality seen regularly on Today, Good Morning America, and she's the resilience expert for the doctors. She is also featured frequently in the Washington Post, the New York Times, Huffington Post, and countless other digital and print outlets, including your teen media. Dr. G, welcome. When our kids are little, we understand the value of games. I mean, even when you buy that memory game that might torture you, you recognize that you're developing a young mind. And then somewhere along the way, games become like a PS in our lives. And when we have middle schoolers and high schoolers,
3: is there still value to focusing on games? There is value in two different ways. I want to just really upfront acknowledge that some parents, like me, don't love games. And so it feels like a sacrifice to sit down and play a board game or listen while my kid explains the whole gaming thing that they're excited about. And there are two different ways that parents can have a really useful interaction with kids and games. One is just by providing the opportunity and being supportive of the idea, because playing games is incredibly valuable to our kids for strengthening their mental health not just because they're doing something they enjoy, but in the skills and the activities that they do when they play games, it builds their mental health. Absolutely, we can take it to another level if we also play the games, not the least of which is it helps our mental health because the activities of games allow us to process situations and practice and try things out with very low real world stakes. So Anybody, a teenager, an adult, even a five-year-old, gets to try on a persona or a strategy. They get to lose or they get to win and... There's cost to both in the real world. When you lose, you've lost an opportunity or you have to change your identity in some way or see things differently. And in a game, it's a temporary situation. Not that everybody handles losing well, even in a game, but it's really good practice. And winning in real life has consequences too, in terms of how how we talk about it and how it makes other people feel and how it makes us feel. And so games are great practice at all of that. But there's a deeper level here. It's like the the zucchini in the chocolate chip zucchini bread is that the skills that our kids need to strengthen their mental health for whatever their next obstacle or disruption is, there are these eight skills that we found in research that build mental, emotional, and social health, and they are tremendously furthered by playing games what about, you know, in terms of building their their mental strength and playing
1: these games with them, and you're talking to two people who are very competitive game players, <laughs> <laughs> you may know where I'm going. This idea of, um, is it wrong to play your best and not let them win? <laughs>
3: is there a theory on that? Yeah, the theory is that you're best off always playing your best, unless... You're playing with a younger child, and they and and you get to that point where they are frustrated or they don't want to play because they well I always lose. You can you can make it a part of the game. You can say, "Would you like to play a version play a game of Monopoly where I agree to play my worst?" And often younger kids will be like, "Yeah, yeah, I want to try that," and it becomes the f- most fun, silly thing because you are saying to yourself, "I'm not engaging this twin. I'm promising to try to lose. That would be winning in this case." And we would know that they are getting frustrated. Like, for example, like if
1: I had a friend whose kid like would throw the board. Just for just example. Just a friend. Just, just, just a, a friend, neighbor kid. Right? That would be, right. that yes, would be one example.
3: Okay. Kid with bad parenting, right? Yeah. So every, <laughs> every kid, and listen, if you are, I think about my youngest, playing against not just a parent, but also three older siblings who are never going to let you win. They're <laughs> totally uninterested <laughs> in that ridiculousness. And- you can see how they come up with this learned helplessness about games and be like, why would I ever play? It's always awful. Because when you play with siblings who win, they don't just win. In my experience, they also trash talk you. You can see how that would be super frustrating. And part of what we're trying to instill in our kids is a love of new opportunities and a willingness to get into something. I had a rule in my house after one too many tantrums like that where I said, please don't play a game unless it would be fun, even if you didn't win.
0: So I want to go back to something you said earlier, which is you don't really like games. I don't. So (laughs) can I, there are going to be parents out there who have kids who don't really like games. So why don't you like games? And is that all games or like, you know, you have the three that you love,
3: but you hate all the others. I have very much enjoyed games that make me laugh. So my kids are luckily old enough that I feel comfortable saying out loud, we play a really good Cards Against Humanity. And I really enjoy that because they're hilarious and it's hilarious. But I'm an only child. I grew up playing Monopoly, no joke, against myself. And (laughs) I understand. (laughs) I'm just trying to picture that for a second, but go ahead. (laughs) The dog always won. So my, one of my kids thinks that's actually the saddest thing he's ever heard me say.
0: That is so sweet because what he's saying is I love having these siblings to play with,
3: right? That's very sweet. Yes. Although don't tell him that's what he's saying because I don't think he would be ready to say that yet. The truth of it is I watched my experience as a kid with people who would play games was going over and playing with siblings who were super hard on each other. And I didn't know how to interact with it. I had no practice. So I think for me, it was social discomfort more than anything of not knowing how to handle other people's big emotions around games. I would say as an adult, I I like playing games with the right people or games that are meant to be centers of conversation and laughter and communication. That's all good by me. But I do think it's really important to mention that if I said to parents, look, however you feel about it, you have an opportunity anytime you choose to pull it out to let your kids practice telling stories and advocating for themselves and explaining their point of view Solving problems and handling increasing challenge and communicating with you so that they will strengthen their mental health for when hard things happen to them in their teenage years, but also as adults. Most parents would be like, I already own that. What is it? That sounds really, really helpful. That assuages a lot of the fears I have for my kids. And when I say it's probably in a box in your basement, they're really surprised. But the evidence shows that it's really true. Can you give us some examples of problem solving games? Any game, like Ticket to Ride, actually. Uh, I don't know if that's universally understood well enough. So Risk, for those of us who don't like games, that that one's a bad one because not only is it complicated to learn, it seems to never end. But any, I'll go to younger kid games, and you may be able to help me think of some. Any game where you need to come up with a strategy and you need to keep shifting that strategy as you see what other people are starting to do. So Othello, Chess, even checkers, those are examples of games that teach you to problem-solve.
0: I'm going to tell you that Bananagrams is an offense-defense game where you
3: have to keep doing that, and it's a killer for me. Games like Chutes and Ladders and Candyland where you're drawing cards and you just do whatever the card says, those are much less about problem-solving or increasing challenges because they don't get harder as you go. There are these four skills that we've been able to show really clearly. And when I say we, I'm excited about this because I've been working with the toys and games industry. There's a a company called ThinkFun that makes a lot of games, and they were really focused on STEM, and they started to realize that the parents in the world were a lot less worried now about our kids' academic performance than we are about their mental health. And Toy retailers have been saying, hey, parents and teachers and concerned adults come into our store to look for things to get for kids, and they're asking for stuff that would really help their mental health. And so far, all we can offer them are stuffed animals and fidget toys, but there's got to be more to it than that. So the toys and games industry said, hey, we have a role. We're worried about kids' mental health. Everybody's worried about kids' mental health. And. Is there some way that the stuff we already have, the stuff people already own, and the stuff that we might design could be more helpful to parents and strengthening kids' mental health? And that's when I got to start working with them and talking to them about it. And then, so I showed them all the research and I went back to them with these skills and they said, oh, so, okay, let us tell you. And so, like, for problem solving, they said, you know, for kids... Clue is a great game that sol- works on problem solving and perseverance, which is a part of that. And a game called Robot Factory, playing race cars from Lego. I don't know if you have kids who are of an age to have had Lego now has games as well as building kits.
0: Can we move it up to like the the slightly older crowd? Like
3: I think chess was listed in that category, right? Yeah, absolutely. Chess is one of the is a good example of that. So are exit games. Do you know exit games? Called, from a company called Thames and Cosmos. But also learning juggling or devil sticks. If you have a pogo stick at home, so if you're looking for ways to get you know for kids who want to be more physically active, there's a game called Laser Maze that's great. The DIY miniature house games, and these are appealing to kids all the way through their teenage years and into young adulthood. And Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering, or there's a new game out called Villainous using the, and Lorcana, which is Disney characters, but it's a Magic the Gathering kind of game. All of the storytelling, role-playing, world-creating games, not only do they teach problem-solving, they also teach these other skills. They all have new and progressive challenges, and they all involve storytelling. So what were the four, you said that there were four different categories The four categories are problem solving and perseverance, because these help kids identify and overcome obstacles. And it teaches them that they can look to themselves to say, oh, I could try to solve problems. It doesn't mean they'll succeed every time, but when they face an obstacle, we know they're much less likely to slide into risky behaviors if they think they might have another solution. Games that teach storytelling is the second category. These develop kids' ability and teens' ability to explain what they're experiencing to themselves and other people, which reduces harm behaviors. All of this research is around reducing harm behaviors. The third thing is facing new and progressive challenges, games that get harder as you go. And these strengthen their adaptation and their cognitive skills and teach them when to ask for help, when to go to the dungeon master and say, hey, I need an extra tool. And then the last thing is any game that increases kid and adult interactions. So you can certainly think about games like Villainous or Exploding Kittens or Anomia, but you can also think about games like Treasure Hunt around your house where kids have to come and ask, you know, hey, where can I find a keychain with three keys? Anything that it isn't only about playing with our kids, it's about them knowing when to stop come to someone and say, I need a little extra support. I really like villainous because I don't know if you know this game yet, but you get to pick up Disney villain characters and play as the characters, like the villains all play against each other. Hmm. That sounds a little younger, no? Like, would you be doing that with your kids? No, 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 no. Actually, it's it's um, it's not quite adult themes, but it's definitely it's definitely the parts of the story that adults notice and kids don't.
1: All of these games are games we are sitting around with one another playing, right? Like in real life, as we would say. What about online games? What are our kids missing by being online
3: instead of, instead of playing these games like sitting around a table? There's really two ways I want to go with that answer, Stephanie. One is online gaming is not without its advantages and its benefits. There are good things that our kids can learn and get. Certainly there are a lot of online games that have progressive challenge that you fail repeatedly and then you conquer that level and the next level is harder. So what they're missing most often is actually that we don't usually talk to them about those games. We don't have the opportunity to say, why did you keep going? Or what did you change? And what made you realize that you needed to change something? Like we do when we're Even if I'm in the kitchen cooking, which is what usually happens while my boys are all playing a game around the dining room table, I'm still a witness to it and in some sense a part of the interaction. And when our kids are playing games online, they're usually pretty separate from us. And so the opportunity to debrief or to discuss it or to process the experience is a lot less. One of the things that the toys and games industry decided to do was to have resources for parents how to talk to kids about this. So we created conversation guides, just questions to ask your kids and your teens when you know they did play something. Like when my 14-year-old gets home from his D&D club that they have at school on Mondays, that evening at dinner, I ask him a couple of questions about that experience, about like, did you get presented with a challenge you'd never seen before in that game? And what did you do? When you got really frustrated because you kept getting shut down, how did you handle that? What do you do? Has that ever happened to you in real life? Do you take one from the other, and and transfer those skills. 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, they're talking to each other about those things, and they're not at all disinterested in explaining to an adult how their gaming life helps them in real life. Online games can be really isolating for kids, so even if they are having some of those experiences, they don't have a trusted adult who knows enough about it to process it with them.
0: Okay, so my question is, parents are coming into stores because there's, like, we know anxiety and depression is so rampant right now. It's its own pandemic. Parents are coming into stores saying, I want to buy my kid a game that somehow helps the same way fidget toys do. What are these four categories of games help with a kid who is currently suffering? Like, there could be preventive factors in here, but are there games that actually help
3: reduce anxiety or depression in teenagers? When a parent comes into a store and says, I want something that's going to help like a fidget toy does, they're looking for something that's going to manage in-the-moment trauma or reaction to trauma, like you're talking about. And so recovery and skill strengthening are two different goals. And if your goal is recovery, you know your child has to go for a doctor's appointment that they're really nervous about, or they're having trouble with school and something to hold on to and fidget with is helpful and permitted, then that's what you're looking for. And in terms of comfort, a plush animal, which we might get for a younger child, or a fidget toy, or a little puzzle, can be really useful for recovery. Using games for recovery is dicey, <laughs> not to make too much of a pun, because in that moment, what kids need is a chance to slow down and heal a little bit. They need the chance to feel less pressured. The ways that we use games to recover from a really difficult moment is by, is through distraction. It's just saying, here is a character I love. So in that case, I would say go to a game that... Skews a little younger than your child, that they have nostalgia feelings about, that they don't have to work really hard to play, that they're not going to feel really crushed when things don't go well, that's the game equivalent of watching a show you've already watched the entire series of on a streaming platform. You know exactly what to expect, and it's very comforting. And knowing when to offer our kids comfort and when to help them be a little uncomfortable so they can learn things, that is a fundamental pivot that parents are always looking to find that balance. The skills that protect kids from risky behaviors and self-harm that are too often the result of mental distress are these eight. Problem solving, perseverance, adaptation, conflict resolution, self-regulation, self-advocacy, their cognitive skills and their communication strategies. We can't expect games to do that whole heavy lift we don't teach our kids all those skills all at one time but any time we're doing something that bolsters any of those eight skills we are giving our kids the strategies that they will call on when they are feeling a lot of distress
0: i'm moved by that but i also and i also was so moved by the idea of games as distraction when you can get your family to sit down at the table and play a game even if everyone was mad at each other five minutes before, you, you know what that ha- what happens then. So, can you elaborate a little bit about what it means to be able to come together and play games, even
3: if it's not addressing one of those eight things at the moment? Particularly, what's the value in it? Even if you got your entire family, because you have a new. You know, you have a new cousin who is four and really desperately all of Thanksgiving dinner wanted to play Candyland and you managed to get the entire family to come alongside and be like, we are playing the most massive Candyland game you've ever seen. And Candyland is a great game for fun and it doesn't do a ton to build any of those particular skills, okay? So to your point, what's the advantage? The advantage is whatever it is you're building community that is reliable for that child and everyone else in your family moving forward. So I do want to just acknowledge that I could sit my family down after there was a lot of contention or difficulty. And if we're all playing a game, we might have an amazing time and leave on a higher note. But just as often things were fine, we sat down to play a game, and by the end of it, my kids are really (laughs) at each other. (laughs) So I don't want to present gaming as a panacea for family loving kindness. (laughs) That's really what I do. (laughs) obviously it's never happened in your houses my kids so i want to take it back to risk
0: which my family of origin played all the time and there was more frequently than not there was a a board thrown by the end of the game so (laughs) but what i would say about that is that like risk wasn't a good game for my family to play so but there's another game (laughs) where people right like there's
3: be mindful, I think, that not all games are created equal. Absolutely true. And finding a game that, it's like finding a movie or a movie genre that isn't exclusionary for anybody. Like in my house, there's two of us who really can't stand movies that are have jump scares and that kind of suspense or where people are getting in a lot of trouble. So that is narrows the, you know, and then I have other kids in my house who are like, no more gross kissy stuff. So, (laughs) you know, you come up with this ever-shrinking center of all these different Venn diagrams, and the same can be true of games. I think what's really useful is for parents to recognize that the experience of gaming has layered benefits. So even if you're somebody through the game board of risk and you disbanded with everyone in a huff, they still built some skills, even just the skill of getting that mad and then reconciling, coming back down for dinner or seeing everybody the next day. That builds really important skills for that young adult interaction where a party in your dorm room ended poorly for everybody and they have to figure out how they're going to see those people in class the next day. I would say it also builds reflexes if you're the one who they're whom they are throwing the board at. Dodging the board. Dodging yes, the board. Sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to wrap up the way we wrap up all of our podcasts, and that is, what is the biggest myth about raising
3: teens as it relates to games? In my observation, the biggest myth about teens and games is that they, once they get to be teenagers, they no longer want the rest of their family to be a part of their gaming experience. We tend to think as our kids start to engage more with their peers in gaming that that developmentally replaces gaming or conversations about it with their family. We don't have to be an expert in the games that our kids are playing to talk to them about it and learn more about them from hearing them talk about their gaming experiences. And if you are brave and bold, because that's what I would have to be to do this, we can join in a little bit or invite them to game with us.
0: Dr. Debbie Gilboa, AKA Dr. G, thanks so much for being here with us. And you know, it is, It's funny to talk about games. It seems trite. But in fact, what you shared with all of us is there are so many
3: benefits to keeping those games in your house and, and pulling them out every once in a while. There are. I hope you guys will include in the show notes for this, those free resources that I mentioned. So if parents are wondering what they're supposed to ask their kids about gaming, they'll have some good suggestions. Thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of
0: that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your
1: choice. You can find more from us at yourteamag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen
0: Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer, Michael D'Aloya, plus producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time.